Jaren Cacophony can only mean one thing. It's time for another Power of Three podcast. We are a trio of grumpy middle-aged Doctor Who fans who can't count. And every week, we discuss, digest, digress and disagree as we talk about our favourite time-travelling hero in all forms of his adventures, whether on audio, comic strips, animations, novels, TV pictures or even confectionery. I'm Kenny Smith and this week we knew it just couldn't last and we're back to the power of two as I'm joined by the one, the only. Oh, am I supposed to say who I am? Hello, yes, it's me. Hello, David Steele here. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us. You know, we're kind of alternating at the moment, aren't we, really, between two and three? Yes. You know, if we don't at all. So we'll see. Yes, we'll see how we, how we keep going. We should probably rename ourselves the power of two and a half, sort of, to average it out at the moment, but there we go. Yes. What are we talking about today, then, Kenny? Anyway, yes, this week we are talking about Respond to Calls, the second Ninth Doctor box set from Big Finish with Christopher Eccleston back in the role. And the trailer for it sounds like this. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Ninth Doctor Adventures, Volume 2. Excuse me. Hello. We do have a tradesman's entrance. I thought I'd try the front door for once. It's echoing. It's echoing. Not quite. It's drawn to sound, then pulls it along in its wake. Stay absolutely still. And that's our cue. Run! Can I see your identification? Absolutely. There you go. Who am I? Detective Superintendent John Smith. Yes, I am. Hello, hello, hello. What's all this then? You're a hotel inspector, but I thought... Can't argue with the paperwork. Every town has a house like this. A house that children whisper about around campfires. A house that people hurry past. A haunted house. You worried whatever happened to the Andersons is going to happen to you? Who are the Andersons? I don't... I don't know what happened to them. These are the minutes of the dead. I feel... What do you feel? Scared. In a way I haven't felt since... since a very long time. It arrives as forecast. The resurgence. It arrives. Has the incursant named itself? The Doctor. Repeat that immediately. The Doctor. Something's coming. Something terrifying. Big finish. We love stories. Hey, all right. No, that's more scouts, isn't it? Anyway, Manchester. <laughs> mad for it. Mad. We, yes, we are mad for it. Yes. Yes, we absolutely. Yep. This is a different set to the first time, whereas the first one was all written by Nicholas Briggs, all three stories. Whereas here we've got three different tales by three different writers. We've got Girl Deconstructed by Lisa McMullen, Fright Motif by Tim Foley, and Planet of the End by Timothy X. Atak. Dave, I'm assuming that because we actually want to have an episode that lasts for more than two and a half minutes, you have heard this one. Yes, of course I have. Yeah, um, I listened to it during, well, over last weekend, I think, from when we were recording it. Yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting because it's obviously it's markedly different from the first set. First set, you know, by Mr. Briggs was, um, you know, one overarching story. This is much more sort of traditional, shall we say, you know, three individual separate stories. And it's interesting to sort of think about the difference between them. Um, 
think it was, it's fair to say there was a bit of a mixed response to the first set. As exciting as it was to hear Eccleston back, a, a few of us here and there felt that it was maybe an overly fussy and overly sort of complicated story to start with, maybe more of a season finale sort of thing. And maybe you know a few people expressed the opinions that things might have been better if they'd just gone for a more traditional approach. So what that's what we got this time. And I, I found myself thinking, if we had started with this set, I wonder if people might have complained that it was all a little bit too low-key and a little bit <laughs> a little bit too traditional and a little bit too straightforward. It's interesting. So it's it's it was interesting listening to it in comparison to the to the first set, but also, you know, obviously listening to it in its own merits. And it's um it's it was very, very good indeed. It was very enjoyable. I suppose we'll we'll talk about each one at a time. But what was your overall opinion of it? Oh yes, absolutely loved it. And I just think you've got Three stories with three very distinct flavours, a bit like the BBC books back in the day when they first started issuing Ninth Doctor novels Mm. at the time the TV series on. So you've got one in the present day, one in the past and one in in future sci-fi. And I think that's probably a very clever move to do that. So that way you've got something that should appeal to pretty much everybody. So you've got those who like the contemporary stories. Those those set in the past, although we don't have a celebrity historical. And then we've got the the future sci-fi one. So I think it's a really good mix and some really, really good performances in there, uh, which we can go through. But no, all in all, I, I was I was grinning every time the closing theme came on and thought, yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. So let's go with 2.1 Girl Deconstructed by Lisa McMullen. Now, I have to admit, I was quite excited when I found out when I was doing the Vortex preview that this was pretty much an old Scottish cast, as that's something you don't always get. And the fact that the story, I mean, it may well not have been set in Scotland initially when Lisa construed it and pulled it together, but, um, or construed it, constructed it, ironically. And I thought it was great. I just think it's a really, really nice sort of touching piece. You've got some really good stuff in there, sort of like a, a father who's worried that his daughter is missing and suspects she may have run away from home but she hasn't. And we've got the doctor teaming up with the police to try and find what's going on and where she is. And it's quite a creepy notion that uh, we can we can actually hear Marnie as she's talking to everybody, but nobody else can see her. And, and the doctor's the only one who's got an idea that she's there. Really, really enjoyed it. Fantastic, fantastic performances, but we'll come back to them. I just really enjoyed the whole central conceit of it. Of, I mean, that Lisa based it on the fact that when she was growing up in a house, there was a window in the stairs and she was told that not to go through or else her parents would never see her again. And so there's a great idea, something from your childhood feeding into your adult mind Blimey. to scare you. How did you enjoy it? No, I thought it was really good. I, I wish you hadn't told me that, though, because that makes me think a little bit less of it, because it sounds like the sort of thing that, that, that Mr. Boffitt would have done on TV. Uh-huh. Um, I thought it was excellent. Before it was Mason, or Masson, as we're suddenly now pronouncing it after decades, he was, it was great that he was finally in Doctor Who. I liked it. If, I mean, this is this is a weird thing to say. I thought it was very, given that the Ninth Doctor was on television for a little over three months, you know, I thought it was very era authentic. It's the sort of thing I could imagine they would have done on on telly quite easily. It, you know, it's it's a nice, fresh, clean idea, not bogged down with um with continuity or anything. Echoes, you know, in some ways, it reminded me here and there of Fearheart and a couple of other stories that have kind of floated across my mind as I was listening to it. But it was, it felt, you know, sort of thing. They could have filmed it very easily and very cheaply in a, in a house in Cardiff over a week, you know, <laughs> if they'd been making the series back in the day. So I, I liked it for that. 
Eccleston was tremendous again. And my favourite bit was was probably the bit with the two doctors being there simultaneously. That was very very funny. I like I like the use of the TARDIS as it hopped about and uh, and stuff and all the kind of I can't remember the character name though the 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 policeman the policewoman who who was um who was helping him who the doctor piled up with. That's terrible. What was she called? PC Janari. Right. Yeah, Jana. I like the relationship they sort of built up. They're obviously going to do these sort of pseudo companion th- sort of things with them throughout all these sets. And I love, I love their dynamic, her scepticism about it all and the way she reacted to all the various bits of time travel monsters. But the bit when the Doctor sort of arrives before he left was tremendous. It's the sort of thing, you know, that works really, really well. And as I say, I think was really era authentic because if they had done this on TV, it's the sort of thing they could have done to demonstrate how time travel works. Now you can have fun with it, you know, for... The new audience, which you know, a huge part of um, Doctor Who's viewership in two thousand and five actually was. No, it was it was cracking. It was a cracking start. Yeah, it, it was very sad, you know, to consider that um, you know, her friend Douglas had been had gone missing all this time and he'd been discombobulated and floating around this house. It was quite. It was very poignant. And again, it kind of reminded me of Fear Heart of the Empty Child of that sort of thing and that a, a real genuine early Russell sort of sense of emotional authenticity. I think. Absolutely agree. Cannot, I cannot find fault with anything you've said there. I think it's the pacing of it is great. I think that Helen Goldwyn's done a great job just to keep it moving along. Even though there's the quieter moments, there's still that undercurrent of things are still bouncing along. There's there's movement. It's, it feels very kinetic and on the move all the time to me. And as you say, um, Forbes Masson. I've always pronounced it Masson. I never knew that it was Mason. I've always thought it was Masson. No, I've, I've always said, yeah, I've always said Mason, probably because I'm from West Central Scotland. <laughs> and and you know my dad's from Johnson. Say no more. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, also we word of praise for Mirren Mack as Marnie. I thought she was tremendous. She's. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw her. She was in. It was. It was, it was, it was pretty faultless, to be yeah. honest. She was in that recent thing with Martin Compton, where she played the pregnant girl who was giving up her baby to Martin Compton and his wife and. And she was very, very good in that. I cannot remember its name. It's just slipped out of my head. But she was excellent in that. And right. I was very pleased when I saw that this was who that they'd got to come in. And yeah, and she's some Sterling as well. So do we like Sterling, Dave? I don't mind Sterling. My main memory of Sterling is developing chicken pox in the primary seven school trip. It's funny, actually, because I was thinking about it was it's set in Dundee. And I've been saying, I've, I realised um, I've been saying for ages that the only time I ever went to Dundee was when one of the times we were bringing my sister back from university and my dad took the wrong turn and we went into Dundee instead of bypassing Dundee but I forgot that I'd gone I'd gone up one night with some mates of mine who were in a band for one of their gigs so I've, I've only ever been to Dundee at night or in a car I've never seen anything around it so it was um I like that it was you know you can imagine them as I said already you can imagine them filming it in Cardiff and pretending it's set in Scotland absolutely and someone some I, some wag would have pointed out, or oh, you don't get that sort of tree in Scotland, or blah blah blah, or you don't get a house like that in Dundee. But it, would have, it was, it was good. Yeah, it yep. was, it was really good. I think it was probably out of the three of them. I think, it, out, yeah, out of the three of this set, it probably was my favourite, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just thought it was great. I think it's, it's Lisa's strongest script for Big Finish. I think to date, and the fact that Chris Eccleston was raving about it afterwards, saying this should have been made for TV. That says quite a lot, doesn't it? If you've got your leading man yeah. on site oh. like that. Yeah. Also, my Dundee, my brother-in-law's from Dundee. I've been to Dundee quite a lot over the years uh, to watch football up there. I used to go for the Sunday Mail quite a lot. Right. And 
Dundee, yeah. for those who don't know, is the only city in the UK where the people have banned soap. Not the government, just the people of Dundee do not like soap. They're allergic to all of them. So if you're going to Dundee, take your own soap. because it's is, that, is that a football joke? Uh, yes, because Dundee supporters are grotty. <laughs> My brother-in-law is a Dundee supporter, <laughs> not Dundee United. Ian McLaughlin, you'll concur with me. So Here's a weird thing. When I get married, my brother-in-law was obviously there, Mark, and Ian McLaughlin, big Finnish writer, came down as he's a good friend. He, he came along to the wedding and it turned out that he and Mark had been at school together and they hadn't seen each other since the day they'd left. So there you go. All right, that's nice. It's a very small that's world. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, people are not here to listen to uh, who I know and who I'm related to and who I'm friends with. Not this time, anyway. Shall we move on to Freight Motif by Tim Foley, where we are travelling yes. to post-war Paris, where musician Artie Berger's lost his mojo and has been pursued. Freight Motif, Dave, what did you think of this one? It's probably out, out of the three of them, I probably thought it was the, the weakest bit of a runaround. I like the I like the sort of Parisian setting. That was that was fun. The the idea of the way it sort of employed sound and music and stuff put me in mind of a very early big finish story i think called whispers of terror yes it reminded me a little bit of that but it was fine i don't have this much to say about this one to be honest it was good i mean obviously it was good i'm not saying it's bad at all but out of fear i probably thought it was it was kind of the weakest one point i wanted to make about the whole set while i remember there's a bit when um the doctor sort of jumps or drops from the roof of the building and sort of like seven stories up or whatever and obviously presumably bounces off an awning or lands but lands safely and someone makes a comment on it and he sort of says i've fallen from higher than that or something mm -hmm. and i thought right that is that a very subtle way of getting legopolis a legopolis reference in? and there was a point i think in the first story where the doctor had a line about trying I'm, i can't remember it specifically so i'm paraphr paraphrasing and mangling enormously he said something about um trying residential or trying to stay in one place or whatever and i thought well, was that a little reference to to stranded i thought this is interesting these sort of almost slight hand continuity references that you know um that maybe eccleson wouldn't realize they had him saying i thought that was quite tricky and quite amusing there's also a bit when um i can't remember which story when, when he very, the doctor very emphatically says no more and i thought well that's clearly a reference to you know to the war doctor things like that I thought were quite amusing. There's obviously there's a reference to some Fontarans and a reference to um, the city of the Exelons in the later story. And I sort of thought, right, they're putting them in. They're not quite, they're not really that glaring. They're a little bit glaring. But I sort of thought this is this is a nice way of getting fanboy servicing in by stealth because obviously Echoes isn't going to know what any of it means. Back to the second story. I, again, I don't, I, it was fine. I really don't have anything to add to that. I'm, apologies to the writer. I thought it was good. It was an interesting idea. You know the the way the music was. You know the, the response to to you know to the sadness and all that sort of stuff. And it was fine. I thought it. I thought it was functional. It was the one in the middle. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I mean, I think in my youth I was fairly musical. I played the piano to. Uh, I think it was up to grade four or something like that when I stopped. So and I played the clarinet and the saxophone, and best of all, I played the fool. Yeah, so I had sort of like a connection with this one, sort of, and you can feel the musicality throughout it. I think there's that, I think it's a really nice idea having that, something that Chris Eccleston's, um, I think he mentions in the extras how much of a fan he is of that kind yeah. of music and the jazz and the fact it's free-flowing yeah. and 
piano and things like that. And I think it was quite an interesting thought. It was like, what would happen if you're a musician and then you just suddenly lose all musical ability and think, that's quite scary because mm. compare it with, you know, if I suddenly lost the ability to talk or suddenly found that I couldn't write, I'd be completely, yeah. well, something I say, I never had the ability to write. Yeah. Yeah, to have that main thing at the core of your life taken away from you. And it's quite a horrible thought that you just think, how would you cope? And I think by putting it in yeah. post-war Paris as well, you've got a setting that's slightly out of the normal. It's not somewhere you'd automatically associate this doctor with being. It's it's quite hard. I mean, where would you assume? Mm. I mean, this doctor is very much a contemporary doctor. You know, with the leather jacket, you could just see him very much. He's a doctor of now and sort of a current era. You can well, he's a, he's a doctor. He was a doctor of then, he was a doctor of 2005, because, you know, obviously so much of his, the vast majority of what we got from him on television was, was you know, set on earth, most of it contemporary, you know, it's, it's. but I know I know what you mean, it's like, the, there was all the gags about the, looking like a Navi or a U-boat captain on, on TV, so I mean, I think, um, I don't think it was too much of a stretch, but I know what you mean, because the vast majority of his stories were all centred around Rose and centred around the Powell estate and all that sort of stuff, so yeah, that's a good point, yeah. I quite enjoyed that. I mean, like you, uh, the the reference to uh, a fallen from taller and that. And yes, I got that reference. But I suppose you look at there are some subtle references being dropped in. I mean, I remember saying to Russell T, <laughs> a press conference about you know things like that nipping in and mentioned you know subtle things like Vortis getting a mention. You're on series one, that sort of stuff, and the the subtleties yeah. of things being put in that are they're there if you know what they are, but if not, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the best type of that sort of reference to make or use, you know, if you don't want it to be sort of so distracting and clanging that, you know, it's not like that horrendous Titan Doctor Who comic thing from a couple of years ago, which had a moment of the third Doctor and Sarah driving through London and he points to the, he says, oh, I had to fight a mad computer in there and it's a shot of the post office tower. It's so much better than that awful clanging stuff that for me makes most of the modern comics unreadable. But anyway... Anyway, yeah, Fright Motif, great title as well. And again, mm. another one, really enjoyed it. And I think Eccleston, fantastic, great cast. I think you've got, there's a really, really, really good performance there from Damien Lynch's Artie, who you'd really do take a shine to very, very quickly. I think he's very well written. And Gemma Whelan as Zazie Vincent, fantastic. I think Gemma Whelan from Game of Thrones, she's so good. She's so versatile. Really, really like her. And um, yeah, I still have no context for Game of Thrones, so there we go. Okay. She's in Game of Thrones, that, that, that's good enough. Tick. <laughs> Perfect. All right, let's move on to The Planet of the End by Timothy X. Atak, where the Doctor arrives in a mausoleum world for sightseeing and light pedantry, correcting its planetary records. But the resident AI has other ideas as we get to meet Fred. How did you find this one, Dave? I thought it was quite an interesting concept, that whole mausoleum world. It reminded me of that story, and I think it's in one of Peter Davison's Book of Alien Worlds, where it's a mausoleum planet, and oh. it's just tombs built on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other. And that just had me thinking of that. That was my first point of reference for it, which was fascinating, but great idea with the Doctor being lured in by the computer and it's all part of a trap from a big business who want to profiteer from the doctor and take his body. Yeah. 
Peter Davison's World of Alien Planets, that's a good, that's a good reference. I, you know, Peter Davison personally compiled every single one of those stories, listeners. You know, he was, he had to fight with the editors, which, that one, and he, he two of them, didn't he? I wanted, I wanted another one. I wanted, um, I wanted Peter Davison's book of um, fish and chip shops, or Peter <laughs> Davison's book of gentlemen's outfitters that specialise in collarless shirts. You know, I think they could, he could have kept that going. He was, he was mad not to, to milk that for, for more. Yes, it was a very good one. It was very, as you, as you sort of say, it was the one that was a bit more out there. And you know, I liked your comparison to the to the way they formatted the, the books when they started bringing them out. This would this one would have been amazing to see on television. I think this was the one that you could really, really tell that Eccles had a lot of fun doing this time. All the you know the stuff about being rooted to the spot and his hair growing out and having a beard <laughs> and all that sort of thing. It was a it was a really interesting idea. You know, that there was obviously a reference to some Suntarans and which was fine because you know they they you know they, they might have done that sort of level on telly. It was really good. It's it's you know almost a you know pretty much a two hander really between the Doctor and, and Fred as she says as the the AI comes to be called. It was very interesting. Definitely the most high concept of the three of them. I would have loved to have seen it. I mean, visualizing that in my head was just amazing. You know, when they're climbing up to the top of the the thing at the end, and it was. It's a really nice drawing in the new issue of Doctor Who magazine that sort of um, has the Doctor with long hair and a beard, which is quite funny. It tickled me when I saw it the other day. No, this was probably my second favourite of the three of them. Just, I, I, as you, yeah, as you say, a really, really good idea. Uh, yeah, I, I'm repeating myself, but I would have loved to have seen it on television. I agree. I think it's quite interesting. And also, we get almost like a foreshadowing of what we get on TV with Rose, whereas when the Doctor meets what becomes known as Fred. A nice wee nod there to uh, Romana as well, of course, and with the Doctor's initial suggestion that she should call herself Fred. I liked the fact that we've got what is the standard AI, but through interactions with the Doctor, becomes far better than they ever would have been. A bit like Rose growing with yeah. the Doctor's influence in her yeah. life. And I thought that is a really nice wee parallel, sort of setting things up for what will come later yeah. in TV. Thought it's a great double act. Mm -hmm. The fact that we've got things get to the point where Fred turns against the big business who created her and has been subtly helping yeah. the doctor over the years, even though it's not shown, yeah. but there's just little bits here and there, and the doctor can escape from his imprisonment as they want to use his body and regenerate him and things like that. And it's quite yeah. interesting sort of hearing Eccleston. It's just I think Eccleston talking about regeneration is really interesting because it's it's not something he really does until pretty much his very last scene. And it's a when it's a means yeah. of tricking death. So it's interesting to hear him say that and then you hear that regeneration sound kicking in. So it's very yeah, it's very different. Yeah. And you say it's very much a high concept episode. Yeah, the regeneration stuff is very interesting because they obviously they wouldn't have done that on television. So it's one of these sort of things that the BF can do now and again when they know they're telling a story within a sort of divine, a, a defined timeline within defined parameters, but they, they know they can still have a little bit of a tease and a little bit of a play. No, it, it was really good. I mean, I've only had time to listen to the set once so far. Um, I, you know, I do plan to to listen to it again, but it was, it was a, it was it was a really good mix of stories. As I said at the top, I think it was a. I now think it was a good idea. I was I was I was a bit skeptical, obviously, about um about Ravagers. You know, for for many reasons, but I think it probably was the good the good way to, to start because I think if they had started with this set, I don't think I don't because the stories were a little bit more considered, a bit more sort of um 
not introspective, but a bit more thoughtful. And I think I don't think it would have worked quite as well as a for the launch. So um no, they were yeah, three very I do yeah, I'm I'm rambling, sorry, but I do need to listen to them again. I need to get them another spin. Maybe my opinion on the second story will change slightly, but you know, I did like it, yeah. It was good, but we should really say again just like how how full on and how utterly committed Christopher Eccleston sounds. It's it's a much you know, it's a it's a very lively, very, you know, loving life sort of version of the doctor because I, I think people people sort of talk about how in the same way that a lot of people perpetuate the idea that the first doctor was really, really grumpy and crotchety when, you know, if you watch and listen to any of his stories beyond his first couple, he manifestly isn't. I think a lot of people tend to think about Eccleston as being a really sad, you know, you know, modelling doctor because of the whole the time war girl. But if you know if you remember how excitable he is in scenes and Rose and the scenes in um Aliens of London and you know and that sort of stuff and how excited he is when everything goes right at the end of the, the Doctor dances. You know, he 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 was quite upbeat a lot of the time, you know. And um it's nice that they're emphasizing that part of it. I think if we'd got four box sets or three box sets, whatever it is in this first this first run, if we did three or four box sets of the, the ninth doctor being completely miserable, it'd have been terrible. But we're getting, we're really getting that sense of, um, you know, this guy loving life and loving his travels and, you know, maybe he's in denial about the time war. I mean, that that's a point, you know, there was there was, reference, there was a reference to Daleks and a reference to Gallifrey at the start of the final story. That's right. I meant to say about that. And that kind of jarred me a little bit. I sort of thought, right, would we have had, uh, you know, if we'd had that in telly, would they have said as much? I mean, that's something that obviously is built in the, is built in the mythology that's come up since. As I said at the start, it, it feels it feels very you know, authentic. You know, it's always echoes and enjoying himself. There are really good ideas in the stories. They're doing the sort of things when they're sort of thinking, right, what has really not been done in Doctor Who, but really not been done if this was on TV before, like, you know, new ideas. And I think that's that's the best part of it. You know, it's obviously been announced that the, the Cybermen are going to be in the next set, which is which is fine. Which is fine, but I'm also I think that we've got John Coolshaw playing the Brig in a later set as well, which I'm not too sure about. We'll see how it comes. But I think the the Ninth Doctor, apart from you know the Daleks and a few very other odd references, really kind of existed in isolation from continuity on the telly. And I think the sets that they've done so far, the Big Finish, have really kind of held on to that. They haven't diffused that, you know, particularly much. So it still feels we could have been watching this in early 2005, which is what I really what I want from these sets. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a very fair point. The fact that Chris has got such a joy to him, he's very much loving being back in the part. The fact that these have been written, yeah. and I'd imagine that there's been a hell of a lot. So, you know, to get him on board, you know, some things said, okay, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll, we'll go for this more upbeat doctor without pulling you down. And the fact that he's just able to launch himself into it full pelt, and we get the odd fantastic here and there as well, which is great just to hear. That's still there. Yeah. It's it's not. I mean, it's never. It's not an in-your-face catchphrase as people would think it is. Yeah. He does say it a few times. Maybe it's like twelve times over the course of the season, something like that. But uh, it's still. I've never. I've never. You mean it's it's sort of it's one of these things that got a bit more emphasis after the after the event, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. And obviously, I think, because he's you know he says it and he's he emphasizes it in his final little speech to Rose and stuff before he goes. So, but no, you're you're right. The whole thing is very well balanced, what we're doing. I'm, I've been really impressed. Yeah. Let's have a quick word about the music and sound design as well. Aren't they great? It just sounds so good. It's Howard Carter's yeah, done a great job. It kind of, I find it kind of goes without saying, really. 
with these sort of things nowadays, I genuinely can't think of a time apart, you know, apart from cold dips, but that was decades ago and we've talked about it before, I think. I can't think of a time when the music and the sound design isn't effective or doesn't help you out with telling the story, you know. And especially in the, the you know, Planet of the End, where it, it really works with your imagination so that you're picturing it all and it really sort of helps you visualise everything that's going on. It's, I, they know what they're doing for now, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's impeccable stuff. Yeah, it's great sound design for me in Meadows, I think, particularly, as you mentioned there, in the, the Planet of the Dead, which is, it's not Planet of the Dead, that's not even its name, silly me. Don't write in to complain, it's Planet <laughs> of the End, I knew that. And yeah. It's just as one. I think Howard Carter's really got that sort of new series vibe. He's got that. He's got his own wee Doctor theme going, which we've mentioned before, which is I think appeared in Tenth Doctor stories as well. And, and it's just a really exciting set. And the great news is that, as you say, there's another three on the way very, very soon, which I'm looking forward to. I think we'll have them before Christmas. So, but yeah, they'll be out in November. So that's a, that's exciting. As I say, we've got um, Metropolis with a Cyberman in it which I, you may have noticed I tweeted about it the other night because I'm just thinking, mm, I've not seen Metropolis in years. And the fact that there's now this 95% complete cut exists with this stuff having been found in right. Argentina that was excised. Right. So it's very much almost a full cut. So yes, I think I'll be ordering that one off of my local HMV and getting it from there. So yeah, that sounds good to me. I don't think I've ever seen Metropolis. It's interesting. There's a the the main sort of robot in Metropolis was also referenced and inspired a character who appeared in the, the DC comic All Star Squadron. Really, which we'll be talking about eventually in the, on the um on the Earth Two podcast in many years because it's way in the future. It's in the eighties. Yeah, I'll I'll, find, I'll dig out some of the covers and send you pictures so you can have a look. That'd be great. I'd love to see that. And of course, she was a big influence yeah. on C three PO and a little known thing yeah. called A New Hope. Is that all about? Star Wars, have you ever heard of that? It's like set in space, but there's a war going Wars, on. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a casual, I have a casual familiarity with it at, at best, I must say. Yeah. Well, there they go. Um, so, so that's, um, I didn't realise that's actually what they were doing. That it's, um, I, I'd seen the cover for the for the next Echoes and set, but I hadn't read the blurbs. So that's that's interesting. That that's yeah, what they're by, going for. By John Dorney. Yeah, I've just actually finished the, the well, he certainly sounds like it. I've just finished the preview of this set with the, the various writers for the next Vortex. Just type those up this week. So they're away off to get approved by the interviewees. So that's the rest, the rest of my day will be spent um, sending Lisa McMillan hers and uh, Andrew Smith for his. So that's how my day is going to pan out. How exciting for me. But yes, I'm really excited. It, this set finished and I automatically thought, God, I wish I could hear the next one. That's yes. my reaction, and that is always a good sign, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's great. I mean, there's no word for it. You know, we should. I'm still sort of astonished that that we got Echoes back. That he's you know that he's that he's doing it, and it's and it helps that he's enjoying it. It helps that he's engaged. It helps that the stories are good. I mean, that's that's really all you hope for, really. Yeah, and fingers crossed that he's enjoyed them enough to do some more. So we can but hope that there's more than the twelve that have been recorded. So, Dave, you mentioned a wee minute ago about oh, yeah, Earth 2 Podcast. Good. Tell me more about that. What's that all about? Everyone will have heard us already. My friend Peter and I journeying through the, the pre-crisis DC Comics multiverse. One comic, one week at a time. So, yes, great fun. And we should also, at this point, I shall ask Kenny to tell us about Pieces of Eight. 
Oh, well, that's very kind of you to ask, Dave. Piece of Debate is a Doctor Who podcast completely dedicated to the worlds of the Eighth Doctor in all his adventures, whether on TV, comics, audios, short stories, or anything else like that. We're currently having a mini break between seasons. We do 13 episodes in a season, and season two is well underway. It's more than half recorded. So, and also in the last week, we worked out We've got our Christmas episode sorted as well, so there's going to be a Christmas special. Just like it used to be on TV when you've got a series of 13 episodes plus a Christmas one. So, yes, we've got some big names coming up. We can reveal that we've got E.G. Cho in the first episode, chatting about all things Chang Lee. He was, I would say, he was lovely, and that's uh, episode one of season two. Yeah, if you haven't heard it, folks, do, do check out Piece of Eight, because, um, you know, Kenny's, Kenny's bottomless address book, the, the Philip Siegel interview is tremendous it's very candid very frank very honest um a lot of new sort of information about the making of the tv movie so yes unconditional recommend that's very kind of you and um i didn't even have to pay you that fiver again this week so um i'll, <laughs> I'll put that in your credit list as a wise man once said i wouldn't say it if i didn't mean it very kind we should also mention The Imposter, which is our missing colleague Tom Harris's memoir of his life in politics and how he didn't think that he was good enough to be doing it and thought it was uh, not really him. But yes, check out The Imposter, which you can find on all good podcast providers too. Of course, if you've enjoyed this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Pieces... No, you're not. <laughs> That's completely the wrong thing. Uh, you can... I'm keeping that in. You can find us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod with the number three. So Dave, yeah. let's reconvene very soon. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I yeah. always enjoy chatting Big Finish with you, as you know, as I know how much you love it and you know how Absolutely. much you love it. Always a pleasure, never a chore. So yeah, look after yourselves, everyone. We'll see you again soon, hopefully. Um, what are we going to play out with today, Kenny? Well, Dave, I'm glad you asked me that because I'm not at all recording this a week and a half after we recorded the episode to drop something in, having finally thought of an appropriate song. Given that this box set is called Respond to All Calls, in order to get that call, somebody needs to phone you. So let's go to 1980 with Blondie's number one, It's Call Me.